This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 141, and we are recording on Tuesday, November 29th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Kendra Winchester, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Kendra. How are you doing? I am doing fairly well. Uh, since we last recorded, I have now moved and flown out of California and returned. So I feel like Bilbo Baggins, <laughs> you know, when he moves around and then comes back and all the grumpy people are squinting at him. There and back again. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, I didn't, I knew you had, you had flown back. I didn't realize it was from California. That's a haul. Yeah. Yeah. My husband's from the San Francisco Bay area. So we were out visiting his granny for Thanksgiving, who we haven't seen since before the pandemic. So we were very excited to be able to do that. But that also meant like we moved, dropped everything, and then like flew out like a week later. You know, I, um, you and my sister and her fiance were both in San Francisco for Thanksgiving. Her fiance's family's from San Francisco. So who knows? You might have rubbed elbows with my sister and not even known it. <laughs> well, it, we had great weather. It was beautiful. It was sunny. It was amazing. And I really, really enjoyed it. We got to see some things like around San Francisco that I'd never seen before. And yeah, it was a really good. We actually went down to Santa Cruz, which I had never been down to Santa Cruz before. We went on the boardwalk and it was a lot of fun. You have a bunch of adults. That sounds really nice. A bunch of adults, like 30 and up, all playing arcade games. It's great. Yeah. That's, I'm like, that's, that sounds fantastic right there. Give me a little ski ball. I'm happy as a clam. Bumper cars, you know? Yeah. Great food. Oh, that's, yeah, that sounds really good. Well, I'm, I'm, I can't imagine that, that kind of, of we moved, we're flying across the country and then flying back like right away. That just, that just sounds like an absolute nightmare. So I'm glad you, you made it back in one piece. I am. I don't know how I did this more often in my 20s. Because we fly back a lot more frequently. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a good time. And the corgis had the best time at their <laughs> dog sitter. Um, my friend got a new puppy. So Gwenlian and Eddie, the puppy, had a great time. Gwenlian came back filthy. So immediately, like I texted you. I was like, okay, I have landed. We are okay. There were no delays. It's fine. Everyone has had showers and baths were great. <laughs> yep. Everyone, the humans and dogs are all showered. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, how are you holding up there in the more chilly northern area? Well, today today was a brief respite. It was a little bit uh, it was a little bit warmer than usual, and then we're we're going back to cold weather again. No, my I mean my week kicked off on uh, gosh I can't even keep track of days, but yeah, Sunday night I realized I had broken a tooth okay. and not realized it. Um, so Monday was me going, mm, I'm going to work from home and then go to the, and then go to the dentist. Um, <laughs> thankfully I now have a whole tooth again because That's they good. 3D printed me a crown while I waited. That is amazing. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. 
I mean, this was the first crown I had ever had to have. And so I was like, I don't know. And they were they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do it. You know, it, it, the whole appointment in total took like two hours. And I, I was just like, this, this is this is wizardry right here. It really is. And I was like, okay, universe, I see, I see your sign. Um, I need to start going to the dentist more often. Um, <laughs> noted. But I, I came back to work and everyone's like, how's your tooth? And I'm like, I have a tooth again. I'm like, I spent 24 hours without a tooth and now I have a tooth again. So, but definitely not how I would have chosen my week to start off. And so I'm like, mm, you know, can we, can we not do this? Can we not continue in this fashion? <laughs> We do have just a real cool, but I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but we are planning an amazing event at our library this coming week. On Saturday, we are turning the library into a nine-hole mini golf course. Oh, that's amazing. Every hole is winter-themed, and we are making everything from scratch. I mean, we're buying some stuff, but we are designing everything from scratch. And I have a Nightmare Before Christmas-themed hole, and it's got, oh my gosh, it's going to have Jack Skellington snowmen and this bl- this cardboard picket fence that I cut out all by myself with a box cutter. <laughs> like, we have cut up so much cardboard and used so much hot glue. I have burned myself so many times. But this is going to be an epic event. And that's basically all of what we're doing this week. So And totally worth it. 100%. Yeah. All those hot glue burns. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> it's going to look amazing. And <laughs> my husband's like, wait a minute, you're getting paid at work to do what? I'm like, yeah, I get to I get to hot glue stuff and paint and, you know, I get to get to screw things into each other and craft. I'm like, it's great. We're all super stressed out about like, oh my gosh, we've we have gotten way way too ambitious here, but um, but that's going to be this week, and so I'm like, that's why I was like with the tooth breaking. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is not the week to have unusual delays. We do not have time for this. Uh, but back to our main subject, uh, <laughs> books. <laughs> have you on your on your trip? Did you get a chance to read or listen to anything? Well, I did, but that's actually one of my picks today. So I will. I will hold off on t- revealing, doing the big reveal of what that book was until then. Uh, but what have you been reading, Katie? Well, last week, uh, or last episode, I should say, for our holiday gift-giving episode, I talked about the book Last Call, A True Story of Love, Lust, and Murder in Queer New York by Elon Green. And um, the reason why I'm bringing this up again is because I fi- as I was finishing the audiobook to take a step back and, you know, a very heavy subject, but I finished the audiobook right when the tragedy in Colorado Springs happened, the shooting at the at the LGBTQ club. And it was it I mean, the the timing of it was was really something, but it it really highlighted for me how important of a book this was last call. Because it's one of those things where it just you kind of realize the more in in many ways we've we've progressed, but in a lot of ways things are still very much the same as as they were you know thirty thirty years ago or longer. It it was un- very unfortunate timing, but it was very much um, it, it brought it brought a lot of a lot of thoughts to the forefront of my mind. And if this this was a book that, you know, that any of you listeners were thinking about picking up, I really think it's a, this is an important book to read or listen to. The audiobook is excellent, but it, this, it's, it's something that, that I think is a very, is a very important read given everything that happened. And, you know, to, to highlight the ways in which 
the the lives and livelihood of LGBTQ people just are not treasured and they're not they're not valued in in so many ways. It's is very sobering. So sorry to take a little bit of to to take a moment for that, but it was it was a book that I wanted to to highlight again and thoughts to everyone who's been affected by the the tragedy in one way in one way shape or form. Um, it's 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 a lot it's a lot to process and it's it you know should not be happening. Yeah, yeah, it is it is always very very sobering with that, but. I think it's also important to remember as well. We there's still there's still a lot of work to do for sure. So, um, so yeah. So just wanted wanted to make a mention of that. But with uh, with that mention, um, let's let's go ahead and uh, we'll jump into the episode and we'll go ahead and hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. All right. So if you are a longtime listener, welcome back. We are so delighted to have you keep tuning in every two weeks. If you are a new listener, we are delighted to have you join the group and hopefully you will become a longtime listener and join us as we discover all kinds of new, all kinds of new books. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and true crime and just about anything that falls under that particular umbrella, whether it's subgenres that we think need more exploration or popular author read-alikes 
or movie adaptations or true crime news or anything along those lines, it's probably fair game for us to talk about. So at this point in the episode, our longtime listeners know this is always when we put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes. They have really helped us plan so many of our previous episodes over the last five and a half years. It's a great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. And if you have any ideas or suggestions, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes, so don't worry about getting it down right now. We just put out the call ahead of time to get those creative juices flowing while you listen. And even if you don't have an idea and you just want to say hi, that is also awesome. We love hearing from our listeners just in general. And if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. All right. So with the end of the year comes a, you know, a period of time where not a whole lot is happening news-wise. So usually this is where we will put in a few news items, but it's been pretty quiet lately. So with that, as usual, I find myself talking a lot for an extended period of time. So Kendra, why don't you go ahead and jump in? Tell us, tell us what we're going to be talking about today. Well, like we mentioned last time, um, we both love Nonfiction November, which we are sneaking in an extra like episode for Nonfiction November here. So uh, when we talk about mysteries and thrillers, oftentimes the true crime aspect we, we don't honestly feature a lot of nonfiction, so we are going to focus on that today, which makes me very happy. Katie and I both edit different newsletters for Book Riot. One of mine is nonfiction, uh, and so I'm so excited because I can combine my love of nonfiction with my love of mystery and thrillers. So that's what we'll be talking about today, and we have a nice range of books that we've selected today, which I'm very excited for. Yeah, and I know, yeah, we've talked about true crime before um, at different different points throughout the throughout the years. And true I mean, true crime is all what has always been popular with with readers just in general. But there's there's a lot of true crime content that's being put out nowadays. And there's a huge range in terms of subject matter, in terms of approach, tone. And I think there's there's we're starting to see more of a grappling with what it means to consume crime in a nonfiction format, because while it's primarily seen as, you know, as a form of entertainment, it's also I think more more people are kind of grappling with the idea that this entertainment is you know, is based on the tragedy in an actual person's life. And so you know, it's a it's a very complicated, I don't know if genre is the right word, subject, definitely. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of really, really dark stuff that looks at the, you know, the mind of a serial killer and all of that and all of that stuff. But I think we're seeing a, a lot of books that are that are taking a different approach or looking at crimes either from a wider perspective or they are focused on telling the stories of the victims rather than the perpetrator or they're looking at you know how like socioeconomic factors you know how they 
influence how people live their lives and how they react to certain things and why, you know, some some crimes are committed. Um, it, they look at injustices in the in the criminal justice system with law enforcement. And it's just it's so nuanced. And I think, you know, it really should be. And I know at least for the the books that that I picked, I wanted I wanted to pick titles that broke the mold a little bit with, you know, your typical true crime story that you might that you might think of. Now, I will I want to let you go first, Kendra, because the book on your your first uh, your first pick is one that as usual, I have had that on my radar for a while and haven't had a chance to actually read yet. So um, I would I would love to to hear more about it from someone who has read it. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about it. It's one of my favorite books that I've read in the last several years. Uh, so like you said, I really wanted to be very thoughtful in my selections today on how we approach true crime. Few, several years ago, I guess now, um, Alice Boland published a uh, essay collection, Dead Girls, Essays on Surviving an American Obsession. And the title essay in that collection focused on America's obsession with dead girls, and it really, when I read it, it made me reevaluate like my approach to true crime. And so when I read The Third Rainbow Girl by Emma Copley Eisenberg, I became immediately like zoomed in, I need to read this book. And so I'm from Appalachia, uh, which is a region of the United States uh, along the Appalachian mountain range, roughly. And a lot of people have a lot of stereotypes about what Appalachia is like. Emma Copley Eisenberg, the author of this book, is actually from New York. And she volunteered uh, to go down to Pocahontas County, West Virginia. So that's in Southern West Virginia. And I know it's a lot of directions. <laughs> and then so she, she went down there and she learned about the Rainbow Girls. So in 1980... Uh, two middle-class women came in for like this music festival and they were murdered. These two women were murdered. And what happens in this book is Emma Copley Eisenberg kind of parallels her own memoir, um, the history of the region of Appalachia and more specifically Pocahontas County, West Virginia. Um, and then also our, our approach to dead girls in that way. Like who do we highlight when women go missing? And it is the white middle-class women that we focus on. And so she really begins to examine this obsession and it becomes more and more about the topic of true crime and our obsession with missing and murdered white women here in America. And then she also talks about the stereotypes we have about rural communities, um, like rural communities in um, isolated parts of Appalachia, which is where I'm from. So it was all of these things that could have made the book very complicated and confusing, but she really handles the structure of this book very well. And I had the opportunity to interview her for Reading Women. And when we talked on that, it was just one of my favorite conversations because we were able to talk about how she fell in love with Appalachia and then also brought into her own like history of fact-checking and nonfiction writing and She's so wonderful. I'll link in the show notes some of the articles that she wrote about fact-checking, which will blow your mind also. But yeah, it was just a, it was a great book. And I, I feel like it flew under the radar in a lot of ways. Yeah, I know that, I mean, because I, it, it was, I mean, it was definitely on, on my radar just from 
doing Red or Dead and working in a library and just kind of being around new books all the time. So I was aware of it. But yeah, it wasn't one of those titles that really like, you know, took off where it wasn't like, I'll be gone in the dark where it's like everyone yeah. ended up reading it. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, f- I have found over the last few years that I think the the most interesting true crime that I've read are the ones that that take that sociological perspective. And, you know, it's not just about a crime, but it's about it's about a place. It's about a, p- a particular period in time. It's about a particular group of people and their beliefs and traditions and all of that stuff. There's just there, there's so much to think about beyond the actual crime. Like I said before, I think that's a really, I think that's a positive step for for true crime writing to to consider the these elements and take that kind of wide ranging or like holistic view of how or why some of this stuff happens. Because I mean, you're right. I mean, what well, we've got there's a true crime obsession in America for sure, but you know, it's pretty common now to like you said it's the you know the middle class uh white women you know if a or a young girl if they if they're killed that makes the news but other crimes are just they either go completely unnoticed or seen as not particularly newsworthy yeah yeah and and you know what was interesting about this particular story is you have that layer but then you also have outsiders' expectations of Appalachian people. And I will spare everyone the all the history because she includes that in this book. But generally speaking, people think that Appalachian people are air quotes more primitive, right? That these hillbillies um, are in some way inherently more violent. And a lot of very popular philosophers and thinkers of our time follow this idea, which is just shocking sometimes when you come across it. But um, she delves into that as an outsider who has lived and dedicated much of her you know, 20s to this community. And she creates a, a beautiful balance of perspectives that I think is just invaluable. And I hand this to a lot of people who aren't from Appalachia to get them to better understand what, you know, honestly, the topics that Eisenberg is talking about um, in this book. So yes, I could gush about it forever. I will spare everyone, (laughs) you know, you need to go read it. Definitely check it out. Um, And that is uh, The Third Rainbow Girl by Emma Copley Eisenberg. And so now it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. 
So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. And Katie, what is your first pick? So, yeah, this book really takes the idea of what we consider a typical true crime narrative and really kind of turns it on its head. So the my first pick is The Good Girls, An Ordinary Killing by Sonia Falero. And this came out uh, almost two years ago. And this takes place in India. In 2014, there were two girls, Padma and Lali, and they are cousins, teenage uh, teenage girls, they're cousins, um, their families have lived in this tiny, tiny little village in uh, Uttar Pradesh. And they, these girls are, you know, they, they are living the lives within this tiny little village. And one day... They, or actually, I should say one night in 2014, they go missing. And several hours later, in the wee hours of the morning, they are found hanging in the, in one of their family's orchards from a mango tree. So the story looks at so many different things. Who were these girls? Who were their families? The history of the area, the hist- the political history of India, the attitudes of the village people towards the police officers in the area, the uh, corruption of law enforcement, the caste system. And she takes all of these elements to look at what happened to these girls. Did they die by suicide? Did, did someone kill them? If you're looking for a straightforward narrative, this is not the book for you. Or you should at least know going in that you are not going to get a straightforward narrative. The way the author tells the story is almost, it, I don't want to call it vignettes because there, there is, that implies that there's, that there's less of a narrative thread holding everything together. No, there, there definitely is a thread, but the, the chapters are very short. They, they look at the family and they, you know, this, you know, this uncle was, was off doing this. And it really establishes a picture of the, the lives of the people who live in this village, the lives of the people who live in the village next to them that become involved with this. And there's a lot of information. And the author, she presents everything very factually. Like it's, it's, she's, she's telling a story, but it, 
I was reading a review of this book and it's kind of like the author, they say the author does not hold your hand through the book to guide you towards, okay, this is what happened. You as the listener have to, or I, I say listener, I'm listening to it on audio, but you as the reader, you have to put together kind of what what you think is is going on. And there are no easy answers because we're, because along with all of this, there are the, the idea of what the role of women should be in society is very, very, very different than what we expect in Western society. And, you know, in these, in these villages, you know, women are property, essentially. And the expectations and double standards that are placed on women and young girls is you know they're they're astronomical and these are areas where families honor or honor killings these are you know these are very prevalent and common and so you have all of these factors and as a result the people who are who witness who are there and they when they see the girls that when they're hanging from the tree or they're talking to people their stories change, their motivations change. They say, you know, they say one thing and then you find out later that they've embellished it or changed it. You find out that previously they had, there may have been a uh, recorded phone call on someone's cell phone that gets deleted. Like everything is changing and there's, there's really no way to kind of tamp down what the actual truth is. You have, as the reader, kind of have to go along and kind of wade through everything and try to assemble your own understanding of what happened. So this this book, there is so much, there's so much happening. And I actually really recommend listening to it on audio. The author narrates the audiobook, and she is the perfect choice. She does an incredible job with the narration. Sometimes when authors narrate their own audiobooks, it's not a good match. She does it. It, it is absolutely amazing. And it's also helpful because there, because there are so many people involved, although it's reading it in print gives you an advantage because you can go back and verify, okay, who was this person? But hearing all of the um hearing all of the names pronounced properly and that for me that that helps me continue along in the story without being tripped up and be like wait a minute how you know is this the same person as this how are we pronouncing this it's i think i think this book is is well adapted for audio but this is such a complex book there's there's just so much there's just so much going on there's so much to think about there's so much to unpack and it's just, it's such a thought-provoking, horrifying, sad story. And it's one that, you know, when we think about true crime, we think about our Western culture and how our own justice departments work and how crimes are typically investigated or prosecuted. And this is, this is entirely different, entirely. And so I think it really makes you it makes you it makes you look at a lot of different things and kind of, you know, question why things are the way they are and like, you know, notice the difference in in terms of how cultures approach approach crimes, approach the humanity of different people. It's just oh my gosh, there's so much happening in this book. And I have been rambling on for a very long time and I feel like I'm not doing this book the justice that it deserves because it's so complex. But it is it is a really really fascinating book. 
and one that I think is definitely worth parsing through and taking the time to listen to. Kendra, have you read or listened to this book at all? I have not, but from what you're describing, it it sounds right up my alley because I really love a mosaic type of storytelling. And I think that really can capture a lot of different perspectives, which sounds like, Mm -hmm. you know, what you were mentioning. So I'm just going to add that to my TBR as well. I feel like that happens every week. Yeah. I feel like mosaic is a really good way to describe it. It's you know, individually you have these these little pieces and then you step back and you start to see the picture that it the picture that it's starting to create. It's just it's not necessarily going to be a complete picture when you're done or a completely, you know, cohesive picture. But yeah, it's really, really fascinating. Yeah, so I think yeah, I was gonna say I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna keep babbling if I if I go on, so I'm just gonna leave it there. But yeah, so that is my first pick: The Good Girls and Ordinary Killing by Sonia Falero. And my second pick is actually the book that I'm currently reading. I'm about seventy five percent of the way through. I listened to most of it today, <laughs> flying back from San Francisco, and then driving back home. And this is Seven Fallen Feathers, Racism, Death, and Hard Truths in a Northern City by Tanya Telega. And this is a book about the author's really experience investigating seven teenagers who died over the course of a little over a decade um, in a town in Ontario. And the author is also indigenous. And so they really were challenged by a member of one of the communities in that area to really investigate this from her perspective as an indigenous woman from from that area in Canada. So the gist of this is that it covers the long-term effects of children who were placed in residential schools. And I say long-term effects because, like she mentions in the beginning of the book, one of the earliest in Canada was in 1850, was founded, and then one of the last to close in 1991. Like, that is a long time. And generations of children who suffered extreme atrocities, and I will say up top, uh, the rest of the description of this book will include content warnings for harm to children, sexual and physical, suicide, murder, racism, everything that you would expect. So just as a heads up, feel free to skip along if that is something that is that would be a lot right now. I think this book really, in a way that captures it very well, how connected that this community was. So one of the problems that happened is when the schools closed, that was the primary education system for indigenous people in Canada. So you have a bunch of First Nations who are then on their reserves, reservations, uh, and they don't have any schools. So what the different Native nations do is they have to figure out their own education, which is very complicated when you don't have trained people. And it's very important for them that the teachers come from their own community, et cetera, et cetera. So what happens is a lot of times kids from Um, rural communities, rural uh, Native nations will then move to more urban centers 
to be educated. And, and this was not the best system in the world, but it was the one that they had in such a short amount of time to be able to do this for that. And then a series of teenagers who had come from the North ended up dying. And that is what the author is investigating. So she gives you a full picture of the generational trauma and how these children being sent to these schools, forcibly sent to these schools, removed from their indigenous communities, started a cycle of abuse in communities and how that deeply affected these teenagers. So it is a it is a lot, but I think that this book really gives you a bird's eye view while also zooming in on each individual life that is mentioned. And you'll see the seven is used on the cover art as well a lot and um, is very well reported. And I think just the skill of being able to give you the bird's eye view, but also zooming in, I mean, that's so difficult to do. I just really admire the author, but also it's very deeply personal for her as well. Wow. I'm listening to you talk about this. And this was this was a book that I was not aware of. And I am adding this to my TBR immediately. This very much sounds again, you know, we're talking about a lot of a lot of books right, you know, right now that are really necessary, I think, that really that speak to historical and generational traumas, like you said, and also the perpetuation of these of these systems that, you know, that still affect people today. I think this this sounds like an absolutely essential book if you're looking to understand more about indigenous people and the ways in which that they need to that they need to survive basically in, you know, in a culture and a governmental system that's not meant that was not made or meant for them. Yeah, this 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 sounds like an absolutely fascinating and deeply sad book. I think it is definitely also a, a must read for Indigenous history because while yeah. this is set in Canada and there are some very specific things that were uniquely Canadian, generally um, the same rule applies to America as we also had a gazillion residential schools. And, you know, uh, what was it last year? Thousands and thousands oh, yeah. of remains of indigenous children were found on the grounds of former residential schools. And I think that that really, you know, it's just an, yet another illustration about how people are still deeply impacted by these residential schools. And I I wish more would be taught in general in American schools. I was not taught about the details. I had very vague education about the residential schools. I knew they were bad, but like you don't really fully understand. I think this book is a great way to do that as well as a testament to indigenous resilience as well. But yeah, it's a deeply impactful book. So just go, you know, it is an important book to read. But again, just as a heads up, every chapter is really difficult. So I wouldn't recommend necessarily reading it all at once. Uh, space it out, maybe think about it. Um, especially with ICWA right now, they're, the Supreme Court is deliberating on that. And that is directly, um, ICWA's directly result of trying to give indigenous nations sovereignty here in the U.S. after the atrocities of residential schools. So I will include a link to information about ICWA below and any other relevant things if you are interested in learning more. But that is Seven Fallen Feathers by Tanya Talega. 
All right, so my second pick, um, I feel like we've talked about a lot of really heavy books, and my second pick, although definitely I wouldn't call it light, is on the light, is in terms of the books that we have picked, is on a lighter end of the spectrum. So if you're looking for a true crime book that maybe isn't quite as heavy as some of the other books that we've talked about today, this should be a really interesting pick for you. It's called American Fire, Love, Arson, and Life in a Vanishing Land by Monica Hess. And this is a book that way back when Rincey and I talked about on the show, we both read this book and both loved it. I listened to it on audio. It's it's an excellent book for audio. It's so It was such an intriguing read because I had never heard anything about this. So the first thing to point out is that this is a true crime book where no one is killed. So if you're looking for a true crime book that doesn't involve death, Few and far between, but th- but this would this would be a good pick for you. In I think it was 2012, in rural Virginia, there was a five month arson spree of these basically uninhabited abandoned buildings. That there were I can't even remember exactly how many buildings they said were set on fire, but it was in the area of like 60 to 70 buildings over the course of like five months. And at the end of the this five-month spree, they end up arresting this man named Charlie Smith. And he pled guilty to 67 counts of arson. I can't remember if that's the total count or if that was just all he pled guilty to. But to give you an idea, it was a lot. Um, and he said he was the one that had been setting these fires. But he said he had not been setting them alone. He had an accomplice who was his girlfriend named Tanya Bundick. And this story, it's not just about the fire setting. It's about their relationship. And it's about an area of the country that was once very prosperous, you know, and then fell, you know, fell into economic difficulties. And a lot of people left, a lot of buildings were abandoned. And again, it takes that kind of sociological perspective and looks at the crime from that lens. So you, it's not just about the fires that were set, but it was about the, the town, the people, the time period, its history, and the relationship of the two people who were responsible for setting the fires. And I will say, I have not, I have not read this book since the last time we talked about it, so it has been a few years. But my recollection, and it's not, isn't really spoiling anything, but so Charlie Smith was the one who really took the heat. But he said his girlfriend would, you know, like, well, if you really love me, you'll, you'll do this for me, or you'll do that for me. And it kind of, and it progressed to the point where she was like, okay, if you, you know, if you love me, you know, you're going to, you know, basically, you know, you're going to set fire to this building. This is a really, really, really simplified explanation, but it looks at they had a very toxic relationship. And um, there's a quote from the book that's that someone's review pulled out. And I think that this really just kind of sums it up. The uh, where it says they the the participants who were involved uh, are bewildered and telling very different stories about what actually happened. In this instance, the story shared only one essential truth. When the string of fires began, the defendants were in love. By the time they finished, they weren't. And so it's, you know, it's not just about, okay, someone setting a bunch of fires, you know, it's looking at, you know, the very 
the very interpersonal relationship of two people that have that have this unhealthy relationship with each other. I could be wrong. I be- I don't believe Tanya Bundick ever. I'd have to double check. I don't believe she ever. I don't know that she ever pled guilty or admitted to being involved with the with the fires. I think it might have been only Charlie's word that she was. So it's even though he pled guilty, and so there is some resolution. There are still a lot of unanswered questions about what actually happened that we don't really have a good answer for. And yeah, it was just, it was so fascinating. And the other thing too, is that, you know, it took place during, in 2012, during, you know, an era of social media. And I was like, I've never heard about this. And it was just, it was one of those things that you just kind of sit back and you're like, how, you know, and I, an example of what types of stories get publicized and what or what types of news stories don't. But it was it was just so mind-boggling that this that something like this would be happening in 2012. It just seems so out of left field and just so just so bonkers. And it was yeah, a fascinating read. It's a very it's a very fast listen. Again, like I said, I listened to it on audio and it was one of those books that I kind of wanted to just kind of keep driving around and listening to it because I was just like, what is going on here? And yeah, it's really thoughtfully written. It takes a lot of elements and incorporates it into the overall story and just really, really well done. So, okay. So again, my, my, my question to you, Kendra, have you read this one? I have not, but I remember when it came out, no one could not read this book. Like everyone was picking up and reading about it and talking about it. And I definitely had FOMO and I just... I just missed bandwagon. This is perhaps the time to make up, you know, lost ground here. But also, can we just mention again that this is like the ultimate bingo card box, the true crime <laughs> book where no one ties? Like, that is a unicorn. Yeah. So I was going to say, if, if you listened to last episode and you want another gift idea, if you if you have someone who likes mysteries and suspense, but doesn't, you know, doesn't want something super heavy, doesn't want to have to, you know, read about death. This is a book for you because all of the, all of the fires that they set, they were all for, you know, abandoned houses. So people, you know, people weren't killed in the blazes. People didn't lose their homes and which makes it even more bizarre. Like, that it would end up the you know the setting fire to a bunch of abandoned houses and in such enormous numbers like you know 67 abandoned buildings were were burned down it's like why <laughs> and the book attempts to answer why but that it's that's one like i said one of those questions where you just you don't have any easy answers for it yeah, so again, that is American Fire, Love, Arson, and Life in a Vanishing Land by Monica Hess. And if you, like Kendra, remember hearing about this book and didn't get a chance to pick it up, well, now is a perfect time because this is the type of story that you don't have you don't have to read exactly when it comes out. This, this will still hold a few years later. And honestly, it sounds great for a plane ride. There you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's a short audiobook. So if you've got, you know, if you've got a long car ride, if you've got, you know, three or four hours on a plane, you know, you can make a serious dent in this book. That sounds amazing. And I heard the audiobook, like you said, like I, the audiobook specifically was hailed as amazing. So yeah, really compulsively listenable. So um, if you're thinking about jumping into audiobooks, but aren't sure, this is a great one to do. <laughs> 
All right, so with that, obviously, as always, we only are able to, you know, uncover just a tiny, tiny bit of the the topics that we talk about. So if you have any true crime uh, or just crime-related nonfiction picks that you think we would really like, let us know. As always, our TBRs are never long enough, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff being written nowadays. With that, um, Kendra, do you want to do you want to kick us off with with a new with a new book we should keep our eyes out for? Yes. So I uh, love a cozy mystery about food. It is a subgenre of cozy mystery. As my mom has informed me, she is the queen of cozy mysteries about food in my mind. And so I saw this book. Uh, and the second book in the series is Aria Winters and the Cupcakes. Cupcakes. Wow, that's a great, that's a great blooper there. We're going to keep that in. Um, Aria Winters and the Cupcakes of Doom. There we go. And this is by uh, Amita Murray. And the first book, which is the one I'm going to describe to you because I feel like a lot of these need to be read in order, but also if you are daring, you obviously can read them in whatever <laughs> order you jolly well want to. But you Enneagram ones like me, we read in order. Anyway, so Aria Winters is just your typical cozy heroine who lives in a cottage in a small English village. She's introverted and has no real interest in talking to people. However, she needs them to buy her very, as it's described, macabre desserts. She has these very dark desserts that she does. Unfortunately, um, someone does get poisoned by her tiramisu in the first book. So that is a problem, right? Uh, so <laughs> Typically, yes. Right, right. So um, that kind of starts her mystery journey. And the second one is more about just continuing on that situation. There's like an ex that shows up, I believe. So we get to see more of Arya Winter's character, et cetera, et cetera. But if you love cozy mysteries, again, with food, or you have someone in your life, like my mother, who loves <laughs> cozy mysteries about food, um, this seems to be right up your alley. Yeah, I, um, well, I was distracted just by the the, the character's name, my sister and her fiance, the ones you may have rubbed elbows with in San Francisco, they have a cat <laughs> named Arya. Um, and I right know name. that the name is popularized from Game of Thrones, but I was just looking at it and I was just like, oh, that's Sarah and Travis's cat's name. <laughs> um, so you can see where my brain is at. But yes, no, the the food, the food cozy mysteries, that particular subgenre I know is super popular. And while I Typically, like I said, I, go, I do go for the dark, demented, and disturbing when it comes to <laughs> mysteries. Um, I do love a macabre dessert. So that right there, and I was like, okay, this is this this sounds like something I can get behind. <laughs> I feel like someone always, like if it's just in the beginning, always gets accidentally poisoned by the food involved, and like they have to clear their name, and that kind of like sets their character off into the series, and. Uh, my mom has been reading the series that's in, I don't know, dozens in the series. And that happened apparently a few times in that series. But anyway, this one, you're just starting out. So you will not be overwhelmed by too many titles. I've also heard that that is a concern. So definitely go check it out if you're looking for something wonderful to cozy up with uh, this winter. 
All right. Um, so I, my new release, I kept with this episode's theme of nonfiction. Uh, but again, if you're looking for a really nuanced, multifaceted nonfiction book, this sounds like it would, it's really going to hit the spot. It's called The Forever Witness, How DNA and Genealogy Solved a Cold Case Double Murder. Basically, the murder in question uh, happened in November 1987. A young couple was on an overnight trip to Seattle, and they vanished without a trace, and their bodies are found a week later in rural Washington. And there were no witnesses, very few clues. There was um, an international manhunt that came up empty, and eventually it, the crime slipped from the headlines like it does. So biological evidence from the crime was in uh, was put into long-term deep freeze storage, and Detective Jim Scharf um, was looking at old case files and picking up and trying to pick up cold cases and see if he can see if he could he could solve this one. And then in California, we have Cece Moore who begins investigating genetic genealogy and this type of work basically is being used as a forensic tool because of the popularity of like 23andMe and all of these like at-home DNA ancestry tests. And so Shar Detective Scharf sends the decades-old DNA to uh, the lab where C.C. Moore works, hoping that, you know, that they he could bring closure to the families of the, of the people who were killed, not realizing that what they were about to do was going to be, it was going to make history, essentially. The, so it talks about the crime, but then it also talks about the ethical implications of this type of using this type of tool and you know can we use and should we use dna to catch the to catch murderers who have escaped detection so far but you know can we do it in a way that preserves basically our last shred of privacy in this digital age and so it's you know it's looking at the crime but it's also looking at the ethics and you know yeah, I mean, it's such an enormous concept. Um, so I think this book is, I think this book is going to be absolutely fascinating. So if that is, uh, so if that's an area of true crime that you think sounds super interesting to you, you'll definitely want to pick this one up. And that is The Forever Witness, How DNA and Genealogy Solved a Cold Case Double Murder by Edward Humes. And that is out uh, today on, the on November 29th. Well, that is our episode about nonfiction. Lots of nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we have uh, given people just a you know a few titles you know here and there that I hope you all <laughs> enjoy. It's been a wild time. <laughs> all right. Well, that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening, and of course, thanks so much to our wonderful sound editor Jen Zink, as she always makes us sound great. So we always appreciate it. For show notes, uh, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. And for more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. Of course, we want to hear your feedback and you can email us with that or your show suggestions at uh, redordead at bookriot.com. 
Otherwise, you can find me, Kendra, on Twitter and Instagram at kdwinchester. And you can find Katie on Twitter at kt underscore library lady. Of course, those will be linked as well. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye.